today on Ag News Daily. So we're making it easier for those producers to find outside investors who will partner with them and allow them to do what they do best, which is manage their operation. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Mike Pearson. Mike, how are you doing today? I am fantastic, Delaney, and I am fantastic for one reason and one reason only. We get to talk about news that isn't coronavirus related today. That is very true. There's a couple pieces of news we get to talk about that has nothing to do with coronavirus. We do indeed. Should we kick it off? We didn't discuss this before the podcast. We should have done a little more planning, Delaney Howell. Do you want to talk USDA reports here at the top, or do you want to save it for the lead into the market? Hmm. Well, I mean, it was definitely a big market mover today and probably some of the top news. So maybe we should just kick it off with that. Let's do it, folks. We are flying by the seat of our pants here. We had two (laughs) big reports from the USDA today, the quarterly grain stocks report, as well as the prospective plantings. And just a reminder to everyone, quarterly grain stocks are as of March 1, and prospective plantings, or the planting intentions report, is intentions as of March 1. Remember, we have seen the ethanol industry completely fall apart throughout the month of March. So we'll see how much these uh, these numbers change as we roll into the summer. But let's start with, well, let's start with quarterly stocks, because there were not too many huge surprises in the quarterly stocks report. There was a bit of a bullish surprise in the corn quarterly stocks. The average trade expectation was 8.62, excuse me, 8.162 billion bushels of corn sitting around the countryside. USDA came out with 7.953. So a little bit bullish there. Of course, that was overwhelmed by the prospective plantings number, which we will get to in just a second. Soybeans, quarterly grain stocks, the trade had it at 2.237 billion bushels of soybeans. USDA came in pretty well in line with 2.253. And wheat, no big surprises in the wheat market either. USDA, excuse me, the analysts had us at 1.437. USDA came in at 1.412. So pretty neutral there on the wheat side. The big shocker, the big market mover today was in the corn acreage report. Farmers, according to the USDA, are expecting to plant 97 million acres of corn. The trade was thinking we would have a number pretty well between 94 and 95 million. The average guess was 94.3. So that 97 was a big shocker. And we saw it move the markets. The December corn contract moved 10 cents right at 11. It shot up on the quarterly grain stocks, then it shot down on the prospective plantings, and then it ended up down slightly. We'll get to that in just a little bit. The other markets did not have much of a big surprise. Soybeans, uh, the trade was estimating we'd see 84.7 million acres. USDA came in at 83.5, just below the expectation. That was supported for soybeans. In cotton, 13.8 was the trade expectation. USDA came in at 13.7, so right in line. Grain sorghum, 5.1 was the expectation. 5.8 million acres is where the USDA came in. And all wheat, again, no big shockers in the wheat market. Expectations were for 44.9 million acres. The number came in at 44.7. So that is how the reports wrapped up today at 11 o'clock, Delaney. Yeah, and I just have such a hard time believing that we'll plant 97 million acres of corn. I talked to some farmers already today about the report that are considering switching acres already because of hearing this. And, you know, I just still believe that we're too wet to get in there and start planting yet. And I think that that delay, I don't think it's going to happen to the extent that it did last year, but it definitely sounds like we're setting ourselves up for another wet 
weather pattern here with spring planting. So I just have a hard time believing we're going to see that many acres of corn. Yeah, I think you're exactly correct. And I was talking with Ted Seifert, our chief market strategist over here at Zaner, right after the reports came out. And he believes this is the largest corn number we're going to see this year. Um, this is something we kind of ripped the Band-Aid off, is his take. We printed this huge number today. The trade appeared to take it seriously. I mean, at least in the December contract, we did close marginally lower, two cents lower on the day. But I, I think Ted is on the same line of thinking that you are, Delaney, that there's wetness, that the corn bean price ratio doesn't really favor 97 million acres of corn, and we're going to see that acreage number chipped away as the year goes on. I think we will continue to see that, no doubt, Mike, but I'm going to continue on with the no COVID-related news here. Looking at Dean Foods, we've had, of course, lots of rumors. We've discussed it on the podcast of who is going to take over the bid to take on Dean Foods. And it is now official that the Dairy Farmers of America has been named the winning bidder to acquire a pretty substantial chunk of their operations, about 44 of their fluid and frozen facilities, as well as other assets, rights and interests will be sold off to the Dairy Farmers of America for $433 million. Ooh, that is a chunk of change right there. Yes, it is. But we don't yet know how many of their producers' contracts are going to be picked up yet, right? That's what we're still waiting to find out. Right. And I don't know, you know, I, I said there is 44 facilities that will be picked up by this contract. I don't know how many facilities there are in total that will not be picked up by this contract. You need to do a little more digging into that one. Gotcha. We will continue to keep our eyes focused on that story because we know that impacts a lot of our listeners who are in the milk business. And listeners, stay tuned. If you are in the dairy business, we are going to delve deep into the dairy market on Friday with a good friend of the podcast, Miss Alyssa Badger from High Ground Dairy. So be sure to tune in and we'll try to get a handle on what else is happening in the dairy market. But Delaney, we've also got news in the world of pork. In fact, the World Pork Expo in June canceled. Uh, Second year in a row last year was canceled due to fears of African swine fever. This year it is canceled due to fears of COVID-19. So I apologize. I was thinking I was going to get through this without COVID news, but gosh darn it, there we got some. Um, They are still planning on Expo 2021. That is scheduled for June 9th through the 11th at the Iowa State Fairgrounds a year and several months from now. But the 2020 World Pork Expo is canceled. I don't know. I almost feel like that's, I have mixed feelings. Like I understand why they canceled. Obviously this is a big group that would be there. We're getting international visitors. And so people have to make travel arrangements and whatnot, or booth arrangements or exhibitor arrangements. But this seems, I don't know, it's just early to cancel it already. But I guess here we are almost on April 1st. Exactly. We're on April 1st. The federal guidelines were extended by President Trump to April 30th. That puts us to May. You know, who knows how long this thing is going to continue. I I think they're probably making the prudent choice, given all of the international visitors that come to World Pork Expo. I was also talking about this earlier with my boyfriend, Blaine, and we were talking about the presidential elections. If we continue to see the country remain in shutdown, do you I don't know if there's any legal parameter to push back the elections, but is that a possibility? I mean, that doesn't seem like having massive amounts of people going in to vote would be very conducive to quarantining the coronavirus. 
Oh, boy, Delaney. You know what I would say? I would say that is a long way away. That is a problem for future America. <laughs> we need to get through with present America well, first. I guess but I'm you're just... right. I mean, yeah, looking ahead, there are some really big – I mean, I guess we can kind of watch what happens with the Olympics and kind right. of apply that to what well, could happen. the Olympics got postponed, so right. would they exactly. postpone an election? I guess we'll wait and see. It is uh, unique times we're living yes, in. absolutely. Mike, but later this week, we've got actually a ton of great interviews scheduled this week into next, looking at diff different parts of the ag industry that are going to be impacted by or are being impacted by COVID-19, including the beef supply chain and processing supply chain, because JBS, a JBS facility in Souderton, Pennsylvania, will close at the end of the business day as of yesterday. So today's the first day that they're off because they've had two confirmed COVID-19 cases. And so they're going to be closed for, it sounds like, about two weeks. Interesting. So they're going to disinfect the plant. Is that why they're closed? I mean, we I... heard about Sanderson Farms when they had one infected employee. They just kicked that person out of the factory, did a little spray down, and boop, right back to work. Well, so I, the article that I read is just a brief update, and we're going to talk with some folks later this week about it and get their perspective. But from what I understand, I think that they have to close down to disinfect the facility, but also because workers could have been in contact with the two that are confirmed cases. So I'm assuming those people have to be quarantined for the foreseeable future until they show or don't show signs of COVID-19. Interesting. Yep, you are probably correct there. And just a fun fact about the Souderton, Pennsylvania plant, it is the largest beef processing facility east of Chicago. Oh, well, that's definitely going to do some damage to their supply chain, I would think. I would think so, too. But the cattle market rallied to close the day. So we'll get, that to, get to that when we start talking markets. But I do have one other piece of beef news. We've got U.S. senators calling for investigations of record profit margins for beef processors like Tyson, Cargill, and, of course, JBS. Uh, Senator Charles Grassley of Iowa was uh, one of the first to really start pushing for this. He tweeted, er, might have been yesterday, earlier today, about how beef is flying off the grocery store shelves, but farmers are seeing prices go down. Four companies control 80% of the market, and they are taking advantage, and he is encouraging the USDA, the Department of Justice, and the CFTC to investigate this, and it sounds like he is getting some other senators on board with his plan. All right. Well, I'm all out of news as well, Mike. Why don't you kick us off over into the commodity markets? One more quick piece of news before we do that. It is somewhat market-related. Delaney Howell, are you driving anywhere anytime soon? No, I don't suppose so. Okay. Well, the price of gasoline has fallen below $2 per gallon for the first time since a long time ago. I don't have that uh, information handy. Ordinarily, this would be great news as we head into the summer driving season. This would get people out there traveling, hitting beaches, hitting parks. But unfortunately, all of those things are closed. So we're going to see continued headwinds for the ethanol industry. Yes, we certainly are. All right. Well, speaking of headwinds, we saw the corn market face some headwinds today, though it did well, attempt to shrug them off towards the close. Looking at corn, the May contract was down a half a cent at 340 and three quarters. December contract down two and a quarter to finish the day at 357 and a half. Over in soybeans, the May contract was up three and three quarters to finish at 886 even. November new crop up three cents, closed the day at 877 and a half. Looking at Chicago wheat, we've got mixed trade today with the May contract down three quarters of a penny at 568 and three quarters. December new crop up six cents on the day to close at 572 and three quarters. 
the livestock markets. As I alluded to earlier, we're kind of a sad stack, sad sack story most of the day, but they rallied with the final hour of trading. Cattle went from down a buck in several contracts or a buck plus to almost limit or limit up. April live cattle climbed $2.62.5 to finish at one hundred one eighty two fifty. June live cattle limit up, finished today $3 higher at $92.07.5. Feeder cattle also made a stunning rally towards the end of the day. The April contract was up $1.8750 at $121.92.5. The May up $2 even to close at $122.90. Pork was kind of left behind by that rally in the beef market. The April lean hog contract was down $1.75 at $52.20, with the May down $50. 15 cents finishing the day at 52.97 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market, we do see continued weakness in those deferred contracts. Looking at the April class 3 milk contract, we lost 33 cents on the day to finish at 14.53, while the May was down 39 cents to close at $12.76. Catastrophic prices for a lot of our dairy producing friends. Well, Delaney Howell, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for Tech Tuesday today? Well, I caught up with Pharma Field CEO Mitch Bedarek which is a company geared at creating investor relationships with farmers wanting to expand and those wanting to dip their toes in investing in hard assets within agriculture. Well, folks, for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, joined today by Mitch Minarek, who is the CEO of Farm Afield. Mitch, first of all, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, Mitch, before we get into the big picture view of what Pharma Field does, share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Sure. Well, I grew up on a small farm in uh, eastern Nebraska. Um, we kind of did the 4-H farm alongside corn and soybeans, so cows, chickens, uh, sheep. We didn't do any hogs, but pretty much everything else. And um, it was a great way to grow up. And so I really valued that experience of growing up on a farm and went and I studied at the University of Nebraska. I studied mechanical engineering. And then I went on to grad school at the University of Illinois and I studied agricultural engineering. And I focused on researching um, new technologies to convert uh, waste products into biofuels. And so did that. And then I took a job at the University of Nebraska I was on faculty in the biosystems engineering department doing, again, uh, research related to value-added products for producers. And then I started working on this startup, and um, that's kind of – I eventually left the university, and I'm working on that full-time now. Very neat. Very neat. So tell us, then, 10,000-foot view, what is Farm a field? Yeah, at, at its basic level, it's a – it's a marketplace where people that are interested in owning um, agricultural assets are able to meet producers who are willing to sell those products. So we started in feeder cattle, um, partly because it's the one of the places where people are comfortable buying and selling um, and hiring a producer to manage your, your agricultural asset remotely. And so we think that there's... Um, there's a lot of room for growth in this field. Many producers bear all the risk when they have a new expa- uh, idea for expanding their operation. They have to assume a big jump in exposure. And so for one example, if somebody wanted to 
add to their cow-calf operation or if somebody new was going back to the farm and wanted to start from scratch, it's kind of a big jump to get 100 cow-calf pairs or 200 or whatever it takes to, to reach the economies of scale that you need. And so we're making it easier for those producers to find outside investors who will partner with them and allow them to do what they do best, which is manage their operation and uh, fine-tune the amount of um, exposure to that market that they want as they go. So in this example, somebody could go back and want to start a cow-calf operation and they could, let's say they do um, 25% of it they would own and the, the other 75% they would allow outside partners to own the cattle, cow-calf pairs as they got started. And then over time they would buy out their investors essentially so they could grow incrementally rather than all at once. Okay, gotcha. So would you use PharmaField in lieu of a banking loan or in combination with? Yeah, usually in combination with. Um, I think we want to make it easy for the producer to make the choice of how much they want to do with their bank and how much they want to do with outside investors in, in a production contract. And so that's the other thing I should mention is we um, we do production contracts. So basically the outside investor would own the livestock or at least own part of them and uh, then they would pay the producer to raise them so that the producer can not have that risk of ownership of those animals. And so if I'm a producer using or sticking with the livestock example, let's say I'm a new producer, I don't have necessarily any production record history. How do you go about vetting those producers to make sure that they're worth investing into? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we start small and we do the best we can at um, having them put together a business plan and show us their projections. And and then we show uh, the experts those numbers and make sure that they're reasonable. So we try to stay conservative on that. Um, the uh, You're right, though, that we like to work with partners that have a long track record, obviously. But um, what usually happens in practice is uh, we'll have multi-generational um, families that we, we basically have a track record with, we'll say, the, the older part of the generation and their son or one of their descendants will want to take over part of it so we can have a track record from their family history, too. So. So if I'm a producer and I'm interested in using PharmaField, how much interaction then do I have with my investors? Are they voicing their opinion or sharing their input or are they more just silent or angel investors helping me find the funds or the capital to expand my operation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one, our main offering is we provide the software to make those interactions um, easier. So that if you had 100 different partners, you wouldn't have to uh, mail out 100 different letters. You can post an update online and that can get distributed. So we, um, I would say more, um, they're more of the silent type. Generally, if they have enough expertise or uh, desire to be involved in the day-to-day -day advice and management, there's probably another easier way for them to get involved in agriculture. Uh, most of our customers, they want to be involved in agriculture. They want to own something real, but they don't necessarily want to 
uh, become an expert at managing it. So we haven't had any real issues with anyone overstepping and trying to tell the producer how to do things. So I think it's, um, it, we're surprised with how hard it is to get involved in agriculture without a direct family connection and to actually invest in something. You can invest in certain agricultural stocks, but you can't really invest very easily in say cattle if you don't have a pretty tight connection to that market. So, um, you know, you can do futures and things like that, but it's, it's different than owning the actual livestock. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the capital is definitely one of the biggest challenges in getting into agriculture. But Mitch, you mentioned your software, or your platform. Walk us through what that looks like or how producers and investors use that platform. Yeah, well, from the investor side, um, and like I said, we fairly new. So we just started in we're, um, only in feeder cattle and cow calf pairs. And actually, um, the one that is maybe more surprising is uh, we've recently added solar for agricultural solar development. And um, that sounds like it's disconnected, but really what we want to do is uh, give people options of productive assets that are real and they're on a real farm. And so uh, there are certain places where they want to put up solar and we got a grant from the department of energy to study that problem of how, you know, we can use the available land in agriculture to um, cut back on energy costs. So anyway, but those are the kind of three different areas where we're going right now, but we hope to expand to hogs and some other um, row crops down the road. But for now it's just uh, cow, calf, cattle, and solar. So the investor would go to the website and review, you know, the available openings and they would choose one that they wanted to buy. And then they would purchase cattle and then we would uh, do a production contract with a producer to uh, buy them, raise them, provide the veterinary services, and then eventually sell them. So from the investor side, it's pretty hands-off. And then on the producer side, obviously we, we aggregate um, interest in their, in their uh, livestock and coordinate the payments and the bookkeeping that the investors need. And so how are you going about finding investors and producers alike? Right. So uh, producers, we have a pretty good network of producers that we know. We also have a sign up on our website for any producer that knows about us that we don't know that they can um, express their interest. And then we will reach out to them and explore a partnership on the investor side. um, We are getting interest from people that, you know, it's been a volatile time in the markets these last few weeks for all markets, including agriculture. But there's something um, we're sensing an uptick in people's interest in knowing where their food comes from, securing their food supply chain, uh, investing in something tangible and real. And so um, we haven't done a lot of, you know, any big marketing campaigns. A lot of it's in word of mouth. And um, we think there's more interest in in this area coming uh, coming recently and going forward. And when you look at insurance mechanisms or safety mechanisms put in place through your platform, how would I as a producer know that at some point down the line, I would own all of whatever X it is that the investors invested in? 
Yeah, well, so that was, I was referring to feeder calves. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I was, I was referring to cow-calf um, operations there where you would have um, a regular sale of your calves, but you would have a, your cows that would be um, would stay in your operation over multiple years. So um, we have a plan right now. Uh, the one we've used so far is a, it's a five-year plan to, um, to transfer ownership. And so um, that involves, you know, uh, some culling of the older cows and, and things like that. So that one would be a plan, but for the feeder calves, um, as you know, growing up on a feeder cattle operation, um, those are, you know, six to eight month production cycles. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't actually take ownership of those. You would just get paid to produce them. Okay, got and it. Get sold at the end of six months. Got it. So you mentioned you were starting your way into the solar energy, solar powered energy space, feeder calves, cow calves. What other areas, as you look to the future here, does Pharma Field plan to expand into? That's a good question. Um, the the areas where we're sensing interest from people asking us. Uh, I mentioned hogs. Um, that's an area. The organic market is one that people have asked us about because the producer has to take on a pretty long, uh, long time frame of risk, and they have to have about three years to get certified organic. And so, producers are interested in the market opportunity, but they are nervous about taking a three-year gamble on that from from their perspective. And so, we think that there's a uh, probably some opportunities there for partnering with outside investors who want to help them take on that risk in exchange for the potentially higher rewards. Absolutely. Well, Mitch, before I let you go, if our listeners have questions or want to find out more information about Pharma Field, how can they do that? Yeah, our website's the best way to go for that. So it's just pharmafield.com. So farm a field. And um, there's a place for producers to sign up and also then for investors to, to go. So I would encourage any producer who is interested in, in pitching, uh, pitching to find some outside investment opportunities that they can go there and sign up on our wait list for that. Fantastic. Well, Mitch, thank you so much for joining today. I appreciate your time. Well, again, a big thank you there to Mitch. I think this just creates an interesting dynamic to think that there are folks out there who would like to invest in the actual tangible assets of agriculture as opposed to the commodity markets. And this is a way that those folks can do that. Absolutely. You know, people are always searching out ways to make a dollar and agriculture has lots and lots of assets that can be used to do just that. Delaney Howell, speaking of assets... Folks, we've got some tremendous assets on our website, don't we, Delaney? We certainly do. We have podcasts, blogs, all sorts of great stuff, not just the Ag News Daily podcast, but many others as well. So be sure to check those out as you're bored sitting at home or perhaps thinking for the future plant season here. You can find all of those on our website, globalagnetwork.com. You can also interact with us on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Well, let's let them go. <laughs> <laughs>